Hi there, and welcome to the Boston College Magazine podcast. I'm Courtney Hollins, deputy editor for the magazine, and I'm joined, as always, by our podcast producer, Paul Dagnello. For over a year, the COVID-19 pandemic has upended modern life, especially when it comes to work. Many of us have been logging in from home and sharing tight quarters with partners and roommates, oftentimes caring for or even educating our children at the same time. Now, as the vaccine rollout continues and the world is inching back to normalcy, companies are contemplating the return to the workplace. To talk through this transition, I reached out to Professor Brad Harrington, the Executive Director of the Boston College Center for Work and Family. He also teaches a course called Finding and Following Your Calling in the university's capstone program. Hey, Brad. Hi, Courtney. Thanks so much for joining me today to talk about the future of work and what it might look like in a post-pandemic world. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, so let's dive in. The Center for Work and Family was founded in 1990. Can you give our listeners a brief overview of the center's research areas? Sure. Um, When the center was founded in 1990, there were 10 employers uh, who decided to fund the center. And at the time, uh, they had really been challenged by the amount of or the large number of professional women who had entered into the workplace, and many of them had young children. And that was the first time that work family really became a pressing issue for organizations. So in 1990, these 10 companies decided they wanted to fund an effort to look at the challenges these women were going to face and to help them be successful. So originally, when we got started, the focus was very much on uh, child care, dependent care, and also uh, to a lesser degree, um, but growing over the next few years on workplace flexibility. And one of the things that they asked the center to do was to be a bridge that linked research and practice. So uh, we were, we, you know, we obviously were uh, in an academic institution and were aware of what kind of research was going on, but that was not always visible to corporate people. And they re- really needed to know about, you know, things like what's the impact of women working on young children, how do women balance work and family and so forth. So they challenged the, the center to really tie together those, those issues, those uh, spheres of, of, uh, of academic research and corporate practice. Um, so over the years, two things have really evolved a lot. One is the number of members we have. Today we have 55 members and we pretty much are capped at that number. And they represent the kind of broad range of industries, um, including like healthcare, investment banking, insurance, high technology, uh, pharmaceuticals, manufacturing, and uh, higher education. So we have a good representation of large, very successful, very progressive companies in those areas. The second thing that we've expanded to is really the, the breadth of the research that we do. And where it was originally on dependent care and flexibility, we've really looked at it now as uh, anything under the umbrella of the employee experience. So uh, we also get into the diversity and inclusion is a very big topic for us these days um, and career development um, and sort of just in general, what's the level of employee engagement, employee satisfaction when they work in an organization and is the organization kind of promoting the kind of culture that people are drawn to? Excellent. And um, of course, I'm wondering how has work changed during COVID-19 and what issues has the pandemic exposed in the workplace? Well, it's exposed a whole lot of issues, as you can imagine. Um, I don't think we've ever, you know, globally had anything like this, certainly not in the last century that would, would compare to the kind of uh, dynamics that have occurred as a result of COVID. Um, what we've decided to do as a center, you know, given what our charter is and given the areas that we tend to focus on, is we've picked off three issues that we think are particularly uh, challenging for organizations at this point in time. The first is... Um, 
the race issue. And uh, we can talk about that a little later. But obviously, there's a lot of concerns nationally, globally, and, and certainly within corporations and, and employers around whether or not systemic racism is at, at play and whether or not that's really held back their, their persons of color in terms of succeeding. The second issue uh, we're focused a lot on is gender equality. And uh, we've been focused on this issue for a very long time in terms of women's advancement, but it's particularly been germane this year when a lot of women have really, uh, uh, you know, been trying to balance not only their work with their home life, but also, you know, things like tutoring and, and schooling their children. So the, the demands on, on parents, but especially the demands on women have been particularly uh, uh, daunting this year. And then the third area we're focused on, which is really a bit more about the future, is what is the workplace going to look like uh, when, when we're all vaccinated and people think, okay, we can return to normalcy. Um, this has been a, a you know, a one-year pilot study where we've had tens of millions of people working differently than they worked before. And I don't think organizations are going to say, okay, let's just go back to exactly the way things were before. And so helping organizations envision and plan for the, the workplace of the future is also an important topic for us. You mentioned gender equality. And I know that one of the recent projects um, at the center was the decade-long New Dead Research Series. So um, tell me a little bit about that and then about how the role of a working father has shifted during the pandemic and what some of those long-term effects will be. Sure. Well, we, we began by doing a study in 2009, um, and it was on the transition of fatherhood. So what we did is we interviewed about 35 men who had just had a child within the past year or so and really wanted to understand what their experience of transitioning to fatherhood was like and how similar or different was it from their female counterparts, their, their spouse or whatever. And the reason we got into this was because I had been in the center almost 10 years at that time. And one of the things you realize very quickly is when people talk about work life or work family, um, they immediately hop to the experience of women, which is understandable given the fact that women have borne the majority responsibility for, for caregiving and so forth. But, but what was interesting to us is the, the experiences of fathers was almost divorced from the conversation around work family. And we didn't think that really reflected the reality today, especially for some, you know, young dual career couples where, you know, and oftentimes the woman earned as much as her husband and the husband was expected in, in those families to, to obviously step up and be a shared caregiver. So we kind of got jumped into this and published our first report in 2010 thinking, well, we just want to make it more visible the struggles that men are, are dealing with and how they're balancing work and family. And we were bombarded when we issued that first report by the media who all wanted to know what what is the story with with men today so we said we've you know we've caught something here that we really need to explore further and so that led to a whole decade of uh, research and publications around the experience of fathers so we looked at the transition of fatherhood how they perceive work family balance what how do they define success what are their attitudes about parental leave how do generational differences play into the way men perceive their their role in the home and so forth um, as far as how COVID has impacted that, most of our studies leading up to this year said that 70% or so of fathers said that they wanted to be shared caregivers with their spouse. Um, and that seemed to be consistent, although oftentimes men didn't quite live up to that expectation. Um, but that was their assertion that that's what they wanted to do. And during COVID, everything has been thrown up in the air. And certainly anecdotally, what you hear is that men are not <laughs> sharing equally with their spouse and that women have really uh, carried the burden for all the additional family responsibilities that they have. 
I know in a recent interview, Brad, you said that uh, coronavirus has set us back a decade in terms of advancement of women in the workplace. So how can employers address this? Well, you know, one of the things that employers had to do kind of in the here and now around what was happening was just show enormous amounts of flexibility and understanding. And I can't speak for all employers. We, you know, the 55 we deal with are a pretty exceptional group, but I will say that most of them went way beyond what you would think of as the sort of business as usual approach to, to that kind of issue and really said, you know, we need to give additional time off. We need to subsidize childcare. We need to allow people to work flexibly. We need to allow people to set their own hours and we need to be very understanding when, you know, when the toddler sits on your lap during, <laughs> during a Zoom call. And so I think the first thing they needed to do was to sort of say, let's just be understanding and flexible and not have unrealistic expectations. That said, I think most corporations have been pretty happy uh, with how productive people have been. And I think as we come back into the workplace, organizations are going to have to ask themselves, there has been, you know, a drain of women coming out of organizations uh, at a much higher rate than men. And much of that has been attributed to the fact that they've got these additional caregiving responsibilities. And they've said, you know, something needs to give and I'm either going to reduce my hours or take a leave of absence from my job or maybe leave the labor force altogether. So I think what they need to do is ask themselves, what do women need now to succeed? What do they need in terms of workplace supports, flexibility, uh, you know, what kinds of, you know, messages can we put out that would clearly signal to women that we want them back in the workplace and we're willing to work with them to, to, to go through this. The other thing to reflecting on the fatherhood side is I've always believed that there'll never really be gender equality in the workplace until there's much, much more gender equality at home. Um, and so organizations, I think, need to encourage fathers. You know, if, if you can take parental leave, take it. If you need to do, you know, shared caregiving, do it. Um, sometimes organizations that promote women's advancement at the same time discourage men from being, from being active and conspicuous caregivers. And I think the most important thing organizations can do in addition to asking the women what they need for support is to encourage men to play their role on the home front so women can really advance. So. Um, and returning to something you mentioned earlier, um, another area of focus for the center in 2021 is addressing race issues in organizations. So how did the pandemic also underline this work? I think, you know, the issue of race has been something that's been bubbling up for a number of years. And, and certainly, you know, uh, the, the Black Lives Matter movement has made people much more conscious of, you know, systemic racism in many, many sectors of, of our lives. Um, when the pandemic hit, I think one of the things that we started to realize quite early on is the inequities that exist in our healthcare system, for example. And I think the pandemic really helped raise people's consciousness that, you know, persons of color are, and their families are much more likely to catch this disease, much less likely to have high quality healthcare that will support them. Uh, and they were just being disproportionately affected by this. But then Minneapolis happened. And I think when, you know, when, uh, George Floyd was was killed. Uh, that really, I've never seen one incident like that. One person's death triggers such a worldwide response. So, you know, all of a sudden, everyone's consciousness was raised and everybody became aware of the fact that systemic racism is pervasive. And although, you know, many organizations have tried their best to address this through their diversity and inclusion programs, there were still things that were embedded in the system, whether that be the criminal justice system or the workplace system or whatever it might be, the healthcare system, that 
kept uh, persons of color at a marked disadvantage. This year, after May, we saw a lot of the CEOs of the companies that we work with make, you know, very overt statements about the fact that it was time to to really uh, kind of a day of reckoning in terms of saying we need to look at our own organization. Yes, we've done diversity inclusion programs, but are we really addressing and challenging the things that are in place that are keeping minorities at a disadvantage? And so I think that you know, this is just an issue where initially people look for statements from the CEOs and most presidents and CEOs of organizations were very quick to say, we want to make a statement and we want to put a stake in the ground in terms of where we are. But then following on that, people were like, okay, we've heard the statement. Now let's see what actions people can take in order to really address this issue from a, almost a cultural and systemic uh, standpoint. Gotcha. So I know you're always thinking about the future of work. And so as we start to contemplate a post-COVID-19 world, which of these workplace changes will stick and, and where do we go from here? Well, sometimes I, I think about the future of retirement, actually, to be on a personal note. <laughs> but when I'm not thinking about that, I do think about the future of work. Um, on the positive side, I think organ organizations have started to rethink some things that, um, that were sort of uh, – not maybe not sacred cows, but they were things that people weren't willing to challenge. For example, business travel. Um, when we think about people, we work a lot with the big four and with other consulting organizations. And when, and when you think of the lives of those people, a lot of times it's three to four weeks away from home every month. Um, and, you know, it's very, very difficult to, to maintain, you know, a personal life, a family life, a community life when you're on the road all the time. And so obviously this is drastically restricted uh, business travel. And yet the consulting organizations we work with seem to be still, you know, doing quite, quite well. And uh, they're realizing that, you know, Zoom and all these other technologies really do make it possible to cut down on that kind of thing dramatically. The second thing, which kind of you know, kind of connected for those of us who aren't traveling nationally or internationally, is is just the uh, idea of commuting. Um, you know, we, you and I live in you know the Boston area, and I'm sure both of us, no matter how close you live, it seems like it's an hour each way um, to get to the office, um, almost regardless these days of what time time you leave. And so we've had a year now where you know those of us who are fortunate enough to be able to work from home have realized, boy. I could save two hours a day of my life and probably some stress in my life if I can just work here. And I think that we see senior leaders on, on either sides of the continuum in terms of saying we want everybody back in the office or we're not sure we want to reopen the offices. But I think the the future is going to lean more toward people who say we're going to have a hybrid model and we're going to allow a lot more remote work and a lot more telecommuting because they see that you know cutting down the amount of commuting time has made people happy and has not diminished their productivity which flexibility has been talking about this for years this is not going to be a, a, a productivity drain but many managers were skeptical now they've had as i said earlier a one-year pilot study and they've realized okay i may have been skeptical but it does seem to work and and when we come out of the pandemic as I've said before, and, and the kids are no longer running around the house when people are trying to work, uh, obviously people are going to be very, very productive. And that two hours a day could be very meaningful for people in terms of, uh, you know, spending a little extra time in the, with their family, spending some time with the, around health and well-being and those kinds of things. Um, so, you know, I, I think there'll be some positive outcomes as, as a result of this. Well, Brad, it's been a pleasure to talk with you today. It's been a pleasure to talk with you as well. Thank yeah. you. Thanks again. Be okay, well. Courtney, you too.